Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. CheapAstro.com And this is Gravitational Waves. So, in 2016, we discovered gravitational waves using LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, And enough has been said about who did what, when and where, not to dwell on all that. But since it did require a 4km by 4km interferometer to measure very faint waves from a very distant source, it begs the question as to what gravitational waves would look like up close. All sorts of massive objects exert gravitation by stretching, warping and shaping the space-time continuum around them. That gravitation extends outwards to a potentially infinite distance, although it diminishes with distance by the inverse square relation. To produce a gravitational wave, you need a sudden change in the position of a massive object, which might be an acceleration or it might be a jerk the equivalent of a giant hand slapping down on the fabric of space-time. The elliptical orbit of the Earth around the Sun is a very small example. The Sun's gravity affects the velocity of Earth, and since the Earth's orbit is not a perfect circle, it does not move in its orbit at a constant velocity, but instead speeds up and slows down between periapsis and apoapsis. That accelerating and braking consumes energy. But when we say consumes, of course energy is neither created nor destroyed, just transformed. So what we really mean is that net energy is lost from the system in the form of exceedingly tiny gravitational waves. That lost energy results in the Earth's orbit around the Sun slowly decaying, although we expect the Sun will turn into a red giant long before Earth's orbital decay due to gravitational wave production becomes noticeable. But that is a local and fairly humdrum example of gravitational wave production. Imagine two black holes in a close binary orbit with masses of 29 and 36 solar masses. Well, actually, you don't have to imagine this, because two such merging objects were what produced the recently announced gravitational waves. That black hole binary was roughly in the direction of the Magellanic Clouds, though an awful lot further out, indeed about 1.3 billion light-years further out. The 29 and 36 solar mass objects merged to form a 62 solar mass object, the missing three solar masses leaving the system in the form of tsunami-like gravitational waves, carrying the energy of three solar masses multiplied by the speed of light squared out into the wider universe. This was, allegedly, a momentary power output exceeding 50 times what is normally put out by all the stars in the observable universe combined. Still, that output was a series of waves, not just one giant one. 
The orbiting black holes were producing gravitational waves of steadily increasing amplitude and frequency long before they actually coalesced together. And even as the black holes did merge, producing the very highest amplitude waves, those huge waves immediately began to decline in amplitude as they spread outwards in great circles from their source and the inverse square rule kicked in. By the inverse square rule, a stupendous gravitational tsunami can quickly become a ripple after just a billion kilometres or so, let alone a light year, let alone 1.3 billion light years. Indeed, after 1.3 billion light years, the amplitude of such a wave becomes reduced to about one ten thousandth the width of a proton. So, to have any chance of seeing a gravitational wave with the human eye, you do need to get pretty close to the source. At very close range to a black hole merger, the passage of the resulting gravitational wave would likely kill you just at the moment you had the chance to see it as your body was suddenly required to occupy a space-time which was being stretched by orders of magnitude, first one way and then the other. But, in reality, the spaghettification of being in such close proximity to black holes would have killed you already. Once you're at far enough a distance from where the black hole's gravity won't kill you, then the gravitational waves they produce while merging probably won't kill you either. But can you visually see a gravitational wave ripple that is small enough not to kill you? And, well, probably not. Since the wave is moving outward at the speed of light in an attenuating sphere, there is no perspective from which you can see it before it is already passing you by. In the moment that it does pass you by, one hypothesis has it that your eye geometry would stretch in just the same way as the wave, hence making its passage invisible. And if you tried looking for a receding wavefront that had just passed you by, that wouldn't work either. The passage of a gravitational wave doesn't produce light, it just influences the continuum through which light moves. So a photon that may be bobbed up and down by the wave, while it's on its way to your eye, would likely have returned to its original trajectory before it reaches your eye. But even though we might never see gravitational waves, we now have the tools to tell us when they have just passed us by. This will apparently open up a whole new field of gravitational wave astronomy, which will add to the list of other non-optical methods we now use routinely. Gamma ray, infrared and radio astronomy as well as more exotic approaches like neutrino astronomy, all of which can deliver what we call multi-messenger astronomy, a field which can now be supplemented by gravitational waves as well. Gravitational wave astronomy has some advantages over electromagnetic wave astronomy 
in that the passage of gravitational waves are neither absorbed nor scattered by any masses or charges they may pass by. The obvious disadvantage of gravitational waves is that once attenuated over distance, they become difficult to distinguish from what is already a very noisy gravitational background. As described earlier, any objects in non-circular orbits, which unfortunately comprises the large majority of orbiting objects in the universe, produce gravitational waves. Hence, we have a huge challenge in distinguishing the output of distant wave sources that have attenuated from local, small-scale waves, such as those produced by the elliptical orbits of planets, or even just by a car speeding past your local LIGO observatory. Distant wave sources that are powerful enough to produce detectable gravitational waves are most likely to be compact binaries, like black holes or neutron stars, or otherwise supernovae which explode in an asymmetric fashion can produce gravitational waves, and the large majority of supernovae do explode in an asymmetric fashion. There has been some suggestion that gravitational waves might tell us something about the innards of black holes, but that won't be by any sort of direct observation. An event horizon is an event horizon. Doesn't matter if you're talking light or gravitational waves, or neutrinos. On the plus side, gravitational waves will tell us more about the sequence of events leading up to the gravitational collapse of a black hole, or the events leading up to a binary black hole merger. To undertake the observation of gravitational waves produced by such point sources, we will need arrays of detectors. The 2015 observation that was announced in early 2016 came from two LIGO observatories, one in Washington State and one in Louisiana. Ideally, you want three for the most effective triangulation and to better confirm you have captured a true signal rather than just an artefact in the background noise. All that said, though, point source observation isn't the most useful thing that gravitational wave astronomy can do. Wide field view gravitational wave astronomy has the potential to deliver information about the early universe, which is also one of the main objectives of neutrino astronomy. Either method has the potential to transmit information about events that happened before recombination the time in which the universe first became transparent to electromagnetic radiation. In other words, gravitational wave astronomy, or neutrino astronomy, might provide us with an even earlier view of the universe than we can currently get from the cosmic microwave background. You might remember all the excitement that arose from the premature announcement of findings from the BICEP2 experiment, which eventually turned out to be just confusion between background noise and signal. Nonetheless, the signal they thought they had 
was the hypothesized gravitational wave echoes of early cosmic expansion, which was a stupendous acceleratory event that may have occurred microseconds after the Big Bang. That was what the excitement about the BICEP2 announcement was really about. The LIGO announcement was all whoop de doos we've measured gravitational waves, because otherwise all they could have really announced was finding yet more evidence that black holes merge. When we do eventually get genuine observational evidence of what happened in the 400,000 years preceding production of the cosmic microwave background, that will be quite a press release. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website where space-time is just gnarly, dude. No ads, no profit, just good science. Bye.